Go ahead and pray and we'll get into the Word. Lord God, Father, we thank you for this time together. And I just pray, Lord, for... Uh, I, I thank you so much for the hope of glory and the hope of resurrection, Lord, that, um, that we have a hope uh, of eternal life and Shirley is experiencing that now. We do pray for comfort upon her family, for Mike and Leanne and the rest of this, uh, the, the whole family, Lord, we, the grandkids, everyone. We just ask that you might bring comfort to them as they're, they're mourning their loss. Be with them. And now, Lord, as we open up your words, I pray that you just give me um, clear thought and speech. And Lord, may we honor you. Lord, may the words of our mouths, my mouth, be glorifying to you and Anything that's not of you, Lord, let everybody just forget it. And I pray, Lord God, that you might teach us now. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in Luke. Uh, going back over to Luke. We just had Easter in April. The, uh, on Palm Sunday, we finished Easter in April. And so we're going to pick up there in chapter 2 tonight. And there's a little bit of a theme in tonight's text. Uh, and I want you to, well, I'll point it out to you as we go, but although Luke being a Gentile, uh, he writes at the very beginning of his gospel that he set out to do an orderly account. And something I notice in studying for this passage uh, is that you're going to see the fulfillment of God's law throughout all this passage. Now, the reason I want to point that out to you is there have been some that have tried to uh, speak Unfortunately, wrongly, by saying that Jesus broke the law or uh, they, they've misinterpreted scriptures when Jesus is accused of breaking the law, like uh, allowing his disciples to pick uh, through the grain fields on the Sabbath or uh, when he cured, uh, healed the bent over woman on the Sabbath or some of the other miracles that he had done. But all throughout, Jesus is always fulfilling the law. And we're going to see that God even chose parents for Jesus who would fulfill the law. That, so it was never about breaking the law. Jesus has always been about fulfilling the law. So here we go in Luke chapter 2. And we're going to pick up at verse 21. This is right after the birth of Jesus. It says, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Just going to stop and say uh, a couple things about Jesus. The name Jesus means the Lord is salvation. That's really what it comes from. And, and the idea is, of course, the angel uh, told Mary what his name would be. And of course, also Joseph was told in the book uh, Matthew's gospel what his name would be. And the idea is that God is bringing about salvation through Jesus. And uh, so in the Old Testament, Jesus' name would have been translated Joshua and, uh, or Yeshua. And of course, if you're going to say his name in Hebrew today, it'd be Yeshua. So if you ever go to a Messianic congregation, they're always going to refer to Jesus as Yeshua. Uh, but we just refer to him as Jesus because we're reading out of uh, the Gospels, which are written in Greek. And technically, if you were to say it in Greek, it'd be Yesu. And if you say it in Chinese, Yesu. And uh, so on and so on around the world. Uh, <laughs> what's that? Oh, Yesu <laughs> Ani. Jesus loves me, right? Is that right? Or, oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, okay, and of course for our Latin speakers, uh, Spanish speakers, we got Jesus, all right? 
But nonetheless, the name means the same, that God is salvation. The Lord is salvation. And that was his name. And it's important. His names are important, and especially his name. Because God wants everybody to know that from him is coming salvation. Now, the, it says eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child. And uh, this is important because, again, like I said, we're going to see that, that Jesus in every way fulfills the law. The Old Testament record, record, required a 40-day period of purification for the mother after the birth of a son. So seven days before the circumcision and 33 days after. Now, if you had a daughter, uh, it, it's a longer, it's almost double that amount of time uh, for the days of purification. But for a son, it's you're going to have seven days, eight days circumcision, and then, of course, you have after the seven days, 33 days. So that's a 40-day period of purification. Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day, just as the law required. And of course, it's the sign of Israel that each male uh, born would be circumcised. The idea of cutting off the flesh and, and, uh, and getting rid of the flesh. And so he, he was circumcised on the eighth day. Now let's go to verse 22. Now in the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed... So we're now at the 40-day mark. They brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So now that this 40-day period is over, they come back to Jerusalem, back to the temple... And uh, their time of purification is over. Now Mary and Joseph, as they return, they're going to fulfill the law. And I want to point this out. From the very beginning, we've seen that both Mary and Joseph are God-fearing. They're godly people. From the very beginning, everything we have about their testimony of who they are we see that they're, they're not notable people. Joseph's from this little town called Nazareth and Mary. Uh, they, they're definitely not rich people, which we'll see here in just a moment. Uh, but they obviously love God, and they're willing to be obedient to God. And so here they come back for, uh, to fulfill the law. And we get a quote here about every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Uh, both in Exodus chapter 19, you're gonna, you can read about this uh, as God had brought Israel up out of Egypt. He gave this command that the male who opens the womb is consecrated or set apart to God. And there was a method for redeeming that, that, that child or animal uh, that needed to be redeemed. But if you go to Leviticus, and I'll take you over to Leviticus chapter 12, and we're going to read some of the law a little bit tonight, and I know Leviticus is not the most exciting book to read, but there's some really amazing parts of Leviticus that we see fulfilled in Christ. So when the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering. To the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her uh, who is born a male or a female. 
And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. So here in the Levitical law, Moses is given and the people of Israel are given the expectation if they have a child and how that is to, to be taken care of. And so when those days of purification are over, so we've hit the 40-day mark, then they're to come back to the temple, or of course here it says tabernacle, and they're to make this offering. And there's two parts of the offering. There's both a burnt offering, that's a, a completely consumed to God, that's all God, belongs to God, and then there's a sin offering. Now, the, the prescribed offering is both a lamb and a young pigeon, but, there, but God gives... A, uh, for those who are poor, God gives the ability to offer something smaller. And so they can offer, uh, if they're too poor for a lamb and a uh, pigeon or, or dove, tur- turtle dove, they can offer two turtle doves or two pigeons. And what do Mary and Joseph offer? A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That's what we're told in Luke that they offer. So we know that they were not poor. This is also kind of an idea here that tells us that the wise men hadn't come yet at this point. More than likely, we can assume that the wise men hadn't come yet. Because uh, in Matthew, when the Magi arrive, uh, we read that they brought gifts. Gifts of what? Frankincense, gold, and myrrh, right? They're actually costly gifts, very precious gifts. And, and uh, those gifts probably funded their escape to Egypt for that period of time while they were in Egypt. And very possibly also funded the ministry of Jesus once he was older and doing ministry. Hard to say. We know that he also was supported. But um, not sure how long that, that those gifts lasted for, for our Lord. But, but certainly, um, if they would have had that money at this point or those gifts, they could have probably offered a lamb. Uh, but they didn't. So this is one of those areas where it kind of attests to the idea that this happened later on. And of course, in Matthew... We read that Herod made the decree that all male children under the age of two were to be put to death. So, so it's very possible that by this time, uh, by the time that the Magi came, Jesus was a little bit older. Nonetheless, we see again that, that they fulfilled the law by offering the offering that was prescribed. Now, as we continue on here, it says that every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. That, that, that's an important idea because we, we read in Scripture that God basically says the firstborn of every male of Israel is set apart to him, holy to the Lord. They're his. And that is what we read about in, in the law that really God wants the firstborn male to be set apart for him as priests. But but we know that, that God instead allowed for the tribe of Levi, the Levites, to become those priests and to become those servants to him. So he took the whole tribe of Levites, but then God told, uh, spoke to Moses and, and the people and said, Okay, the problem is you don't have enough Levites to measure up to the same number of all the males. So you're going to have to redeem them with money. So if you go over to Numbers chapter Thir- three, and we're going to pick up at verse uh, 40, Numbers chapter 3, verse 40, we read, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel, from a month old and above. Take the number of their names, and you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord. Instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel and the livestock of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of of the children of Israel. So Moses numbered all the firstborn among the children of Israel as the Lord commanded him, and all the firstborn males according to the number of names from a month old and above. Of those who were numbered of them were 22,273. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock. The Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of Levites, you shall take five shekels for each one individually. You shall take them in the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary and the shekel of 20 geras. And you shall give the money with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those who were redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave their redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. So God basically traded the tribe of Levi for Israel, all the firstborn males of Israel. But then on top of it, Israel still had a deficit in this trade. So God said, okay, you're going to give five shekels for each firstborn male. Now this wasn't a one-time thing because we read in Nehemiah that they, they do this again. We read in Nehemiah that there's redeemed. I want, you to, I want to point something out to you. Now, I don't know for sure, but Luke leaves out this redemption payment. Luke only mentions a pair of, tur- two, of turtle doves or two young pigeons. But he leaves out that five shekel tax. And it's possible that they didn't pay the five shekels. So if they don't pay the five shekels to redeem Jesus... What does that mean? What's that? Okay. If they don't pay the five shekels uh, for Jesus to redeem him, he belongs to who? To God. This is what happened with Samuel. When, When Hannah gave over Samuel, she didn't pay that. Because he was consecrated completely to God. So I, the text doesn't tell us, I don't know, but I, I can't help but wonder if Jesus was completely given over by Mary and Joseph as consecrated to God. It would make sense to me if he was given over uh, because of the fact that he, we know that ultimately his ministry and his complete fulfillment of, of uh, being consecrated, set apart holy to God and his death, uh, his crucifixion and death is all unto being a ministry for God. And uh, Jesus fulfilled a dual rule, role. We know that he's of the house of David, uh, which means that he's in the lineage to receive the throne of David. But we also know that we're, we're told that he's like Melchizedek, who shows up in the Old Testament when Abraham was, had rescued Lot from the, the raiding kings. 
Uh, on his way back, Abraham met this guy, Melchizedek, who was called the king, king of Salem. And there uh, he gave a tenth, a tithe, to this king of Salem. And, and so later the book of Hebrews tells us that, that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek, that he's both a king and a priest. And so that's possible uh, a fulfillment there of this idea that, that both Jesus is of the lineage and tribe of Judah, meaning that he's qualified to take the throne of David, but also he's been consecrated to the Lord as the firstborn, the priest of God. Okay, just something that I think, I think it's fascinating, and I got excited about it. Don't know if you're excited about it, but anyway, I, <laughs> I just think it's really cool to see how God fulfills his law in Christ. Um, and so we go on here um, to chapter, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon, this, this man who was waiting, we first read that he was just and devout, or you could even translate that righteous and reverent. He, he was a man who understood the word of God, believed the promises of God, and was waiting for God to fulfill those things. I, and I think right now we can already start to say, well, if I want to be a righteous and reverent person, how do I do that? Well, it doesn't say that he was sinless by any means. Certainly he had the same problem that you and I all have, the problem of sin, a sin nature. But this man believed God. He, he had received God's word and he believed God. And he waited. He depended upon God. That is absolutely the definition of faith. Hearing God and responding to him with an attitude of dependence and actions of obedience. Simeon is there waiting. And what is he waiting for? The New King James says the consolation of Israel. You could translate that the comfort of Israel. And uh, what, was he, what is uh, Luke telling us about right here? Well, I think this is a reference back to Isaiah 61, the passage about the Messiah. Go ahead and turn over to Isaiah 61. And we're almost done with the big sections of Scripture for tonight. So I know I've kind of hit you with the law and now I'm hitting you with Isaiah. But Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now, this is a messianic passage. It's talking about Messiah, not talking about Simeon. I know we just read that Simeon, this, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, but, but um, we'll get to that in a moment. But this is a messianic passage. So, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the, prisons, the prison to those who are bound. Verse 2, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. 
And so as Isaiah shares this messianic prophecy, one of the, the roles of Messiah is that he will comfort, that he will, be, uh, he will console those who mourn in Zion, that he will comfort all who mourn, that he will give beauty for ashes. Of course, the idea of ashes is when someone's in mourning, they would tear their clothes, they would put ashes on themselves. It was uh, the whole idea that, uh, man, I'm just brought to grief and waste. You know, when you, when you see ashes, you think that whatever was there has been just totally and utterly destroyed. And so, so we have the promise of the Messiah that, yeah, you might be mourning, but, and you have the, these ashes on you, but God is going to make it into something beautiful, beauty for ashes, and of course, the oil of joy for mourning. And so this idea, you would anoint, put oil on as, as in celebration in a recognition of God's hand upon things. And so here, instead of mourning, uh, where you would walk around in ashes, now you've got oil on you, you're looking good and fresh, and it's a celebration. And so this is a messianic passage. Now, Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes into the synagogue, and he reads a messianic passage. Anybody have any idea of which passage that is that he reads? Anybody? (laughs) It's Isaiah 61. He reads right from Isaiah 61. We'll get there in chapter 4. I'll call back to this passage afterwards. But, but when, when Jesus goes in to, to uh, the synagogue, he reads from this passage. And then he closes, after reading part of the passage, he closes it and says, Today, in your hearing, this is fulfilled. Jesus said that. And, and, and there was no louder way... For Jesus to tell the people of the Jews who were listening in the synagogue, I am the Messiah. That's what he was saying. He was supporting who he was from Scripture, from all the promises. And so as Simeon here is at the temple, this just, this righteous and reverent or just and devout man, waiting for the comfort of Israel. Because that's another title for Messiah, comfort of Israel. He's waiting there. And it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Isn't that amazing about this man? His whole life is wrapped up in seeing God's fulfillment of promises. What an interesting way to live life. That I just am waiting for the Lord to fulfill that which he's promised. I can't wait to see Messiah, the hope of Israel, the comfort of Israel. That's what I'm waiting for. And so we see these incredible traits of godliness that I think that you and I can all... Now, I'm not saying that God has called all of us to just sit around the church. But certainly we don't see that he was wasting his days and setting apart himself to God. There was no waste of time. This is something that we read that the Holy Spirit was upon him. God was speaking to him. Now, there's one more thing I want to say about Simeon. We're going to meet Simeon tonight. We just met Simeon. And we're going to meet a woman named Anna in just a moment. Now, every matter, every testimony, according to the laws, is fulfilled by two or three witnesses. There's always going to be witnesses. If if someone brings a, a, a charge against somebody, the, the law says that uh, in the Old Testament says that the matter has to be established by at least two witnesses, two or three witnesses. And um, I find it interesting that here, even in chapter 2, we have, uh, toward the, in this last half of chapter 2, at Jesus' 
dedication as he's coming to the temple, he's gonna be, it's going to be established by two godly witnesses. Both people who are full of the Holy Spirit, waiting for Messiah, and uh, a woman and a man and a woman. And so I just wanted to point that out to you. So now we get to verse 27. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit led him back over to the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So beautiful. They're just coming into the temple. Simeon comes over and grabs the child. Wow. Already we've read earlier in this chapter that um, at the birth of Christ, the angel appeared to them and declared the birth to the shepherds, appeared to the shepherds, declared the birth. And then, and then the shepherds came after the multitude of heavenly hosts appeared, singing glory to God in the highest. And then they went over to Mary and Joseph. They found the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and in a manger. And they made known to Mary and Joseph and all those who were there what had happened. They, they, they told everybody what had happened. And, and then we read that Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. You know, remember Mary had received uh, an angel, had told her what was going to happen. She had gone to John the Baptist, and uh, Elizabeth, the wife of John the Baptist, who was her cousin in chapter 1. And, and uh, Elizabeth was six months along. When, when Mary was just first pregnant, and uh, we were told that the baby left in uh, Elizabeth's womb, recognizing who Messiah was, that she was carrying Messiah, uh, Elizabeth spoke and prophesied about, or told Mary about, about the baby. Uh, we know that, that Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, prophesied about this baby. Then, of course, you have the shepherd. So Mary's been treasuring up all these things in her heart. Now they arrive at the temple, and again, more confirmation about what's happening. God doesn't want anyone to miss, by accident, out on salvation. He, he wants to make sure that everybody knows. And look at what, what Simeon declares. It, it's so contrary. And by the way, it's not the, the priests who are receiving Messiah, because uh, they weren't waiting for Messiah. They're just going about doing their thing. But here's Simeon who's waiting for the comfort of Israel. He says, okay, now I can die. I've seen this. What a godly man. But look at what he prophesies. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. My eyes have seen your salvation. He's holding a baby, a person. Your salvation is a person. And, and it's a person named God, the Lord is salvation. Jesus which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, not just the Jews. And in case you didn't get that first part, it says, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. All those, I mean, he's at the temple. Guess who's not allowed there? The Gentiles. And, and, and Simeon is making this declaration. And the glory of your people Israel, and yes, Jesus is the glory of of Israel. How can you and I 
who are Gentiles, well, those of us in here who are Gentiles, I, I'm pretty sure, I, I don't think we have any Jews currently in the service, that's next door, uh, <laughs> Pastor Bob. But, um, but the idea here is that, that we owe so much to the people of Israel because it is through Israel that God has brought Messiah. Isn't that, it's just incredible. It, it, Jesus is the glory of God's people, Israel. And by the way, when he takes his throne, when Jesus returns, it will be in Jerusalem. He will receive his throne uh, there for the thousand-year reign of Christ. And so, so Simeon makes this wonderful, wonderful statement about the purpose of Jesus. So even from the situation that Jesus couldn't even control when he was a baby, it was all being stated what was happening. Verse 33, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which are spoken of him. And so here we see that Joseph is spoken of not as his father, but as his mother, just Joseph, his stepfather, and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. That's of Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Wow. He continues on speaking about the child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. This prophecy obviously will come true because we know that, that Israel, many will fall. Jesus is a point at which he's going to divide. Now, he did come to bring, he came that, that people might be reconciled to God and that we can have everlasting peace with God. But he is the deciding point. You will either decide that Jesus is Lord and God or you will not. You will either rise because you believe on him who's risen from the dead, or you will fall because you've rejected him who's risen from the dead. It's the watershed moment, right? Just which way will that water flow when you meet Jesus? Which way will you decide? If you believe and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, and for the forgiveness of sins, you'll receive life. Eternal life, the Bible tells us. You'll be forgiven of your sin because you've recognized that He's paid the price and the penalty for all of your sin. That He is the fulfillment and salvation that God has promised. But if you want to hold to an idea that, well, I'll just be a good person, you can't be good enough and you will fall because you've rejected God's Son and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. The King James has an interesting translation uh, of this. And it's the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And uh, I've heard an interpretation that this is also a fulfillment of prophecy. Now, uh, most of your modern translations, including the New King James, don't keep the again. Uh, But the whole idea of, of, of... Israel's rejection of Jesus and their fall, their destruction by the Romans, and then their rise again in 1948. So it's something interesting. And, and by all means, this could mean all of it. Um, 
we'll know the full fulfillment of it, but I, I think the better fulfillment is really who do you say Jesus is? And I think that's important because you'll find yourself either rising with him as he's promised or you'll find yourself rejecting and falling. But, but now Simeon turns to, to Mary and he says, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And, and oh, wow, will the sword pierce Mary's soul as well? Now, I, I think that this is also, we, we know that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and that's exactly what the Word of God does. It pierces our hearts. It reveals our thoughts. As we interact with the Word of God, we recognize our own sinfulness. We recognize more and more who we are in comparison to God. You know, when we compare ourselves to each other, we're pretty good people, are we not? I'm doing pretty good. It's, it's kind of like when you're when you're playing, um, you know, in a softball league with a bunch of old guys, you're pretty good, right? But as soon as you go and try to play with a major league baseball player, you're horrible, right? You guys get the, the idea there. And um, because as soon as you're with those who are the, in that top 1% of all, you, you really realize how bad you are. I remember when I was in high school, I started playing with the college team. And, uh, man, I just got beat up. Uh, we played on Tuesdays and Thursday nights at, at the college, and I got invited to come play with them. And I just got beat up. I just got pounded on by, by the guys in college. I was a junior in high school and just getting wrecked. And I, we'd also play with the Deaf National team because our coach was the coach for the Deaf National team. And they were amazing because that's all they did was play water polo, and, and they were awesome. And... Uh, <laughs> I just they just beat me up nonstop. But then I came back from my senior year in high school and I just dominated because I was so used to just playing against these guys that are were of a higher class and playing at a higher level that when I got back to to playing with my own high school level uh, uh, teams, I was able to just dominate and score and I was uh, fairly unstoppable in the whole set. Because I was used to being beat up by these guys that were way stronger than me and bigger. I wasn't this big, by the way. Uh, I, was a lot, <laughs> I was a lot smaller. This is years of being a dad. Anyway. And a youth pastor and everything else. The roles of scholarship, as they say. No, I'm just kidding. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I, when I got back into high school, it was just just so much better than everybody else. Because I was playing with people that were better. And so when we compare ourselves to each other, we might say, well, I'm pretty good. But as soon as we go up that level to the best, we go, I'm no one. I'm nobody. And, and when we start to compare ourselves to Jesus, when we say, boy, how, how well do you love others? I do it pretty well. well. Well, this is the standard that Jesus set. This is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus showed, showed love for enemies by dying for them on a cross the righteous for the unrighteous. So how well do you love? Not very well. You know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Do you love your wives that way, husbands? Do you? It's a challenge. And we might say, well, I thought I was, but now that I'm thinking about Jesus, I'm like, okay, i got to step it up a little bit, right? <laughs> He's the standard. And so our thoughts of our hearts are going to be revealed. Now, more than that, we know that Mary 
was going to be pierced as she watches her son despised by men. As he's beaten and crucified. As he's on the cross and he says, woman, here is your son, referring to the apostle John. And John, to John he says, uh, this is your mother. Take care of her. And John escorts her away from the cross and to his home. And then he returns that the account tells us uh, on the day of his crucifixion. The sword will pierce her own soul also. But also Mary is going to need to believe in him as well. And she does. And so it's an incredible prophecy that Simeon gives to, to Jesus, or Mary and to Joseph. Verse 36 says, Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of uh, Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. Now I want to point out this, that Anna knows that she's of the tribe of Asher. Asher is part of those ten tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel. And those of, us, uh, those of you guys who were here as we went through First and Second Kings, uh, you'll remember that the Assyrians uh, destroyed the, the northern kingdom of Israel uh, long before the southern kingdom, 100 years prior to the southern kingdom being destroyed by Babylon. But uh, we don't really, that's when, when the tribes started getting a little bit, uh, well, where the, the, the lineages of the tribes started getting mixed up. We know that there was a huge group of refugees that went down into Jerusalem. Uh, we know that Hezekiah had built, extended the wall, and you can still see that today, the archaeological evidence of that when the Assyrians attacked Jerusalem. Of course, um, God wiped them out with an angel one night, and they survived that attack. Um, so so we, we, we know that these tribes aren't just lost to history, and only God knows who they are, because Anna here knows she's of the tribe of Asher. And it says she was of great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God and with fasting and prayers and night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. And so Anna here, an 84-year-old widow who lives at the temple. She has some space there that she's living at, and she's just serving God. She was only married for seven years before her husband died. And so for the rest of the time, she's just been serving God night and day, giving herself over to the temple. And it's quite amazing. She just says, okay, Lord, you've taken my husband. I'm going to go serve you. And I'm just giving myself over to you. And so her as well, we see that that as she serves God with fastings and prayer night and day, she comes and gives thanks to the Lord and spoke of Jesus to all those who looked for the redemption uh, in Jerusalem. She's going around telling everybody, hey, he's here. He's here. He's here. If you're looking for him, he's here. And, and that's something to always remember, that if you're looking for Jesus, if you're looking for salvation, he can be found. But he won't force himself on anyone. Verse 39 so when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, something happens between verse 38 and 39, not recorded in Luke's gospel. Luke jumps ahead to this. Uh, but Matthew's gospel re records the visit of the Magi. And then on top of that, it records... 
uh, Herod's de- decision to murder all those two years and under in the town of Bethlehem. And uh, if you turn over to Matthew chapter 2, real fast. Did I give you? Oh, I did give you the scripture. I, I've got it up here too. I wasn't sure if I'd given you the scripture. So in Matthew chapter 2, uh, we know that uh, and prior to this passage, an angel had told Joseph in the middle of the night, get up, flee with, uh, with the mother and uh, the child and his mother and go to Egypt. And so they fled to Egypt. And then they waited until they were told uh, to return. And so we read here in chapter 2, verse 19, Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, and saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, to those who sought the young child's life are dead. Um, Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Now, this is important here. Because it didn't return to Bethlehem. Here's why. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, that would have been where Bethlehem is, under that area, instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. Uh, And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, he shall be called a Nazarene. And so Joseph returns back from Egypt and he goes, takes uh, Jesus and Mary up to Nazareth because of Herod Archelaus who's reigning over Judea. Um, it's not still not safe for them. So he goes up to the area that is not under the control. In fact, actually, uh, we know his brother Philip, uh, the Tetrarch, is there in that area. But Philip is not. He, the Romans really have control over that whole region. And so, um, so they flee up to Nazareth, and in so doing, it fulfills prophecy. So that happens in between verse 38 and 39. In 39, we read that, that uh, they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord. They returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, everybody wants to know what happened in these years with the child of Jesus. There are Pseudopigraphas, that means uh, people that have wrote books under certain names like the Gospel of Judas or the Gospel of Thomas or these pseudopigraphas. They're, it's not really those individuals. And usually those are um, l- second century documents or, or beyond. And they've, they've tried to write up stories about Jesus performing miracles as a baby and little anecdotes and things like that. But uh, for the most part, what we need to know is right here in Scripture, the child grew. He became strong in the Spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And other than that, he was a child, and he grew. And that's what you need to know. Verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Again, they're fulfilling the law. They're doing what the law commands. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to, the Jerusalem, to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. So... Passover is one day, and then Passover is followed by a seven-day feast called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And oftentimes in Scripture, the entire eight-day festival is, is lumped into one name. They'll refer to it as Passover. It happens a few times in Scripture. But, but it's both Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread because it follows immediately from Passover. And uh, so 
when they would come up from pa- for Passover to Jerusalem, they would come up in, in a whole group. Uh, a large group would come there, and we'll read about that in just a moment. And uh, they would celebrate the feast there, and then they would return kind of in a caravan group back to their hometowns. And so we, we read that Jesus here is 12 years old at this point in time. Now, there's one other thing about Jesus being 12 years old. Today, uh, a bar mitzvah happens for a Jewish young man at 13 years old, and that's a coming of age. It's a recognition that now you can read the Torah, you can uh, answer, ask questions of, of the uh, rabbis, you can answer questions and have dialogue about this. You're, you're kind of recognized as a, a coming of age, be, becoming a man, no longer a boy. Uh, bar mitzvahs didn't exist in Jesus' day. Uh, traditions hold that they had a coming-of-age program, um, but there's nothing in the Bible that references bar mitzvahs or anything like that sort. But, but uh, girls t- in today's tradition are, are, are bat mitzvahed at, um, 13, or at 12. And so Jesus here is 12 years old, but what he would have been doing at this point in time is apprenticing from his father. That's what he would have been doing. He would have been learning at this point, at 12 years of age, learning his father's trade. He would have been finished with school that, that he was doing in his learning and apprenticing with his father. And the reason I say that is because of what comes next. Verse 43, when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. Now here's what I know about junior hires. They're all over the place. <laughs> junior hires... 12-year-old boys are like off and everywhere and their brains are scattered. And if you have a junior hire and your child is constantly forgetting what you've told them to do, ask you to do, that's part of puberty. That just happens, okay? Uh, But that wasn't the reason for Jesus lingering, we read. Uh, Joseph and his mother did not know that they left him, that he wasn't with him, of course, uh, but supposed him to uh, to have been in the company They went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. So you can imagine at this point, Joseph and Mary are in a panic. Jesus is supposed to be with us. We lost him. And I'm sure that they even remember knew who he was. And you can imagine them going, we got to find our son. And, oh boy, we messed this one up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sure they were more concerned just with the immediate of finding their son, the 12-year-old son. And uh, you don't want to be the parents who, yeah, we lost Messiah. Sorry. (laughs) Boy. (laughs) I told you to give him the balloon so he could have lifted it up when we called his name and we could have seen him in the crowd. You know, I'm just kidding. Uh, So anyway, verse 46. Now, so it was after three days... They found him in the temple. So you can imagine the panic at this point in time, the anxiety that must have set in with both Joseph and Mary as they're searching for their son. And they find him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. Look at what he's doing. He's both listening to them and asking them questions. Boy, that's just what Jesus did in his ministry, didn't, didn't he? He listened and he answered questions. <laughs> and he asked questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. 
And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Now, what I know about being a parent is when your kid does something dangerous or gets lost, you anxiously look for them. And then when you find them, you want to beat them. Right? That happened to me when I was little. I, we were at this railroad museum in Sacramento, and, and uh, I, it was multiple stories. I, I don't remember exactly how high it was. I just remember it was high. And we were all on this, like, balcony because my dad loved trains, and he was always, and by the way, I'm sure you're watching. Dad, you remember this? I'm still kind of confused about what you did there. But, <laughs> see, you can't talk back at this point. <laughs> but uh, I, I, being a young boy, uh, I think I was in third grade or something like that, I thought, well, hey, I should climb over the railing onto these planter beds. How cool would that be? And then I could look down and see everything. So I climbed over the railing. And I'm off on this mountain. My mom turns around, and she's like, wants to yell, but is afraid I'm going to fall off the building. I was fine. I was totally in control. Anyway, my dad coaxes me back over the railing, and then I get spanked for it. <laughs> Not really sure why that happened, Dad. Anyway. But now that I'm a dad, I can understand the whole idea of that anxious, your, your, your kid is missing or they've done something wrong. But then when you finally get them back, you're like, you're in trouble. So, so Mary be, is amazed as she sees this event happening. She's amazed at Jesus, but then she also kind of tries to correct him a little bit. What, we've been seeking for you anxiously. Where have you been? Verse 49, Jesus said to them, why did you seek me? Well, that seems like an obvious answer, right? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Remember, he's 12 years old. He probably would have been starting his apprenticeship program at any moment or now with Joseph. And here he is in the temple and said, why would you look for me? I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Didn't you know that I would be about my father's business? I would be doing exactly what, what my father has called me to do, what he's set apart for me to do. Big statement. Jesus fulfilled the law in every way and was completely obedient, even from 12 years old. Best 12-year-old ever. Verse 51, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth is north of Jerusalem, but everybody goes down from Jerusalem. Doesn't Here we use north and south as up and down. Um, but in Israel, it's up to Jerusalem. No matter where you're coming from, you're always going up to Jerusalem, and you're going down from Jerusalem because of the elevation. So then he went down with them, came to Nazareth, and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in his heart. Notice he was subject to them. He's, he's, he's submitted to them. He recognized their authority over him, and he surrendered that to him. Mary keeps thinking about all these things. Just like I said earlier in the chapter, she treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. It's the next time we read that in this chapter, that Jesus is continuing to increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Uh, he's preparing for ministry. And, you know, by the way, I think for the Christian, this is the last point of application I want to make tonight. This really should be um, a growth chart for us as well. 
as we come to Christ, we're babies in Christ. And you may have come to Christ uh, at an older age or a younger age, but you, you had a birthday in Christ. And I, I know that I grew up in the church, so I had a little bit of a head start. But that moment when I really was born again, when I gave, surrendered myself over to him, I was in college. And, and uh, the growth chart should be that we would be increasing in wisdom and in stature. Okay, obviously that's speaking of, of he, he's growing, but, but the idea here is that we're growing in Christ and in favor with both God and man. That as we walk with God, we gain favor with both because we're more godly people and, and we're, we are representing the love of God and, and uh, as his children uh, more and more to other people. And that's our growth chart. So, you know, with our kids, we have like a marker on a wall as they grow but for us, we're looking for spiritual growth, how we grow spiritually, and then, the, uh, then how that looks outwardly. How, wh- how does our spiritual growth reflect uh, in the physical realm? And it should re- have a great reflection. Wisdom, stature, favor with God and men. So with that said, that's Luke chapter 2. We'll pick up in chapter 3 next week with the next testimony. Let's go ahead and uh, go to prayer, and then we'll, we'll go to the Lord's table tonight. Lord, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you for your goodness, and Lord, we thank you that you fulfilled the law in every way. Even when it wasn't in your control, Lord, you ordained godly parents. And um, it helps us understand how serious you are about the law, about holiness. But it also helps us understand how much you love us, that you could do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. So we thank you, dear God. We thank you, Lord, that your salvation was given to both us and to the Jew, to the Gentile and to the Jew. And we're so grateful, Lord, for that wonderful salvation. So now, Lord, as we come to you, we recognize that you've given us your Holy Spirit. So, God, may we be godly people. May we be just and reverent before you. And we thank you, dear God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a beautiful song. I love that song. Jesus paid it all. Can you imagine being so stained, yet being completely washed white as snow? I don't understand how he did it. I just know that he did it. And I'm sure I'm thankful. Thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, uh, one request, Release Time Christian Education, which is also called Chapel on Wills. They're looking for a volunteer or a couple volunteers to help clean some of their trailers uh, on Saturdays uh, while they do ministry. Uh, One of their people who cleans the trailers had to retire from it. And so if you're available on Saturday at some point to get those chapels up and running uh, by cleaning two of them, really appreciate that. So you can talk to me and I'll let you know what to do. Now may the grace of God be upon you. May he fill you with his peace. May he comfort you as you walk with him. Amen.